on the tee from Australia, Adam Scott. There it is, Adam Scott. Expect anything different? Brilliant. What an up and down that was. In your life have you seen anything like that? Welcome to the clubhouse. Welcome to the clubhouse, Darren Parkin here, terrific to have your company on this Christmas Eve, a lot to talk about, reflecting on the year that was, we'll take a look at 2017 and Crystal Ball as we draw a conclusion to this magnificent season, we'll recap one of our favourite bits of audio from the year as well, we'll finish with Marco's Masterclass for the summer golf enthusiasts as well, Mark Allen is with us, nice to have you on the program. Hey Dad. Nice to see you mate, I uh, hope you're well and I hope you're going to have a nice Christmas as well, I hope all our listeners are. Yeah, absolutely. We certainly it's, it's going to be a very warm Christmas. It's obviously going to be very warm today. It's extremely mm. warm for the uh, for Christmas Day tomorrow. I think thirty five they're expecting. Yeah. So, um, are there any golf courses that actually allow you to play on Christmas Day? I doubt yeah. it. Oh, yeah. no, no, if everyone you... just jumps on. That's one of the great things about growing up as a kid. Mm. Is that you know when I was a kid, we Christmas Day we used to nick off and try and sneak on you know, either Royal Melbourne or Metropolitan or mm. Kingston Heath or whatever when we were kids. I think they make it a little bit tougher these days. Yeah. But uh, certainly a lot of golf courses, you can just wander in and, and have a hit. You're going to risk it. People will kick you off. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry about paying your greens fees. No, nah, but back in, in the there. old days, yeah. yeah, a lot of people used to just jump on and, and, and whiz around. And it's funny, you know, coming in doing this show today, mm. so much happened in 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing when you go through and have a look what happened. I mean, we had the passing of Arnold Palmer. We did. The king of golf. Mm-hmm. So that was a big one. Um, and then, you know, the, yeah, I look back at the Masters and the Players' Championship, the US Open, um, then, of course, the PGA. Have I missed one? Yeah, Augusta. Yeah. Uh, all those tournaments, the Open Championship as well. Just some of the things that were happening. And I'm looking forward to touching on that as well. And, and then looking forward as well, mm. the predictions for 2017, it's like it's like the NBL season, I reckon, for 2017. Mm-hmm. It's very bunched. There's no outstanding person who uh, looks like he's just going to take on uh, the game and you know win two or three majors next year or just have, you know, ha- have a season where he wins seven or eight times. just doesn't look like there's a player there. But you've also got the background of that Tiger trying mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get back and get his body right and, and trying to put 22 tournaments together in 2017. So can't wait to look forward as well. Yeah, it's going to be... Spectacular! We're obviously planning this pre-show and going back over the majors and the stories around all of it, so that the hot runs of form that various players had. We might tick off a, a few of those as well. Dustin Johnson, we actually mm. discussed it a couple of weeks ago, the, the rule change which has come about uh, in the aftermath of that incident where the ball moved, yeah. and he uh, quite rightly and, and justifiably ended up succeeding in the face of that. Thank God. That would have been the biggest disaster mm. of the year. If Dustin... If Dustin puts the club behind, not behind yeah. the ball, next to the ball to have his practice strokes, like everybody does, mm-hmm. and then on the way to the ball, his ball rolled because of gravity, mm-hmm. and they ended up pinging him one shot. They rolled the ball back. Once the ball rolled, he had to put it back, and then it was one shot. Mm-hmm. If you don't move the ball back, well, then it's two shots. Mm-hmm. Now, that's going to pretty much go forward as well. I mean, if you accidentally – if the ball if the ball moves once you've marked it uh, moving forward it looks like you'll be able to just move yeah. it back accidentally whether you touch it with a finger touch it with your marker uh, even if you have a practice stroke and touch it with is, if you if you hit the ball accidentally you'll be able to put it back which is a magnificent rule mm-hmm. but the mental toughness of Dustin Johnson in that US Open when you consider what happened the year before mm-hmm. at Chambers Bay when he had you know the putt to win the tournament then ended up missing both putts uh, on the way back and just handing the tournament to Jordan Spieth. Mm. So he had those demons in the back of his mind. 
you know, it's a bit like you know the Western Bulldogs. They hadn't won the flag yeah. for so long. They have a um, you know a, a third umpire decision going up. Yeah, it's the worst looking a third umpire oh, yeah. decision we've ever yeah, seen yeah, yeah, in yeah. history. Yeah. You just start thinking to yourself, is it meant to be? Is yeah. it meant to be where they're yeah. going to get caned mm. here? I mean, you, you absolutely know deep in your heart that mm. Dustin must have been thinking. This is just ridiculous. Mm. I mean, how, am I ever going to win a major? Are they just trying to rob me here? Or, you know, they actually didn't. They didn't tell him for a long time as well. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, they they didn't know what to do. They you actually got, didn't get into the clubhouse, and then they said it was it. Well, not maybe not that late, but it was a fair bit later. Oh, yeah. it was a lot later. Yeah, yeah. I think he did. I think it was a third round deal. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. third round deal. They gets in the clubhouse. They actually went and told other people. It was just yeah. just a ridiculous situation, and the worst ruling that I've ever seen in golf. But for him, I think that was. As far as a mental, a mental challenge, that was the greatest men- mental challenge. Mm-hmm. That was the big win for mental toughness and mental golf that we saw during the year. A U.S. Open, everything that Dustin Johnson had in the background of his career, and then the ability just to hang tough, mm-hmm. control what you can control, and get the job done was magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. Danny Willett wins the Masters as well. Hasn't had it all his own way yeah. since. Yeah, we haven't seen somebody who is not meant to win majors win majors. Yeah. And, and that was the case at the start of the year. It happens in golf from time to time. I mean, you see it a lot. You know, a lot of people maybe thought Zach Johnson, who mm-hmm. won the Masters one year, uh, was not meant to win majors. But, of course, he ended up winning a, a British Open at St Andrews as well. So he's got the two biggies, a mm-hmm. Masters and an Open Championship at St Andrews. So Zach Johnson will be in the Hall of Fame at mm-hmm. some stage, you would think, on the back of those two. But Danny Willett wasn't, you know, he, he, he was, he's, a, he's a number one mm. amateur, a past number one amateur in the world. So the pedigree's there. But still, just the way he plays, he just looks like a, a European Tour top-line player, maybe you know, a Ryder Cup player at best. Uh, and when you go and win tournaments like the Masters, the way he did too. I mean, it was rock solid. Mm-hmm. We're all waiting for him to just fall apart. He ended up getting a reasonable lead on the back nine and hung on tough and you know, might have bogeyed one or two coming in, but had a big enough lead to to come home and win. So Danny Willett, uh, look, he didn't finish the season well. Either. I mean, he mm. finished terribly. He finished not knowing where his game was at. A lot of extra pressure winning the Masters. Probably took on more responsibility and put his hand up, you know, going places to get the big payday that you get on the European Tour. Um, but I think Denny Willett's going to be a one-slam kind of guy. Yeah. Famously, I think John McEnroe said that about Pat Rafter. Yeah. But I think, did it again. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it kind of suits Denny Willett, that title. Yeah, British Open, Henrik Stenson got on a, a massive run in that tournament. He was the number one ranked player in Europe for ages. He was yep. number one in the world, obviously, yep. for, for a period there as well, and, and wins the British Open. Yeah, well, here's another player who's been mentally scarred there mm-hmm. for a little while. Lost his game completely. He actually got, this is how low he got. He was a top five player in the world. I think he got to number three, and then fell away miserably. I don't know what went happened. I don't, don't know what happened. I, I've been told that he invested a lot of money in shares mm-hmm. and got duped and lost his fortune. And it just ran through his entire game. He got so low that he went back to Sweden and he actually played in his club championships. Mm. Like, you don't do that as a pro. No, you don't. Even if you're a hack, you don't do it. But for whatever reason, this golf club Mm. in Sweden let him Mm. play in the club championships. (laughs) He couldn't win that. Someone beat him. In the if that was a horse race, how much? If that was a horse race, how much weight would he have carried? Uh, hundred kilos. Yeah, one hundred right. kilos. Yeah. He would have carried a hundred kilos. Uh, he didn't win that. Someone beat him in that. So I mean, he yeah. can't get any lower than where he was. Uh, and what did he shoot in that last day? Did he shoot sixty three. Yeah. I think yeah. you know what Phil Mickelson might have started. 
Phil Mickelson shot 65. Mm-hmm. I think it was 65. And he was in the last and, group of an open. Yeah. If you're in the if you're in the last group of an open championship and shoot 65, you win. You win. Yeah. You 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 win. But mm-hmm. he couldn't stop um he couldn't stop Henrik. I think he shot 63, which mm-hmm. is the lowest score in a major to this day. Uh that's probably the lowest score in the final round of a major comfortably. Um so yeah, he's a Henrik Stenson put on probably the best golfing performance, maybe not the best mental performance like uh, Dustin mm-hmm. Johnson, but I think Henrik Stenson, his performance in that last group, uh, I think he might have three-putted. Did he three-putt the first as I well? I believe so, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. He three-putted the first and then went on to shoot the 63 in the last mm-hmm. round and deny Phil Mickelson. Brilliant. Absolutely sensational. Jimmy Walker wins the PGA Championship yeah. as well. Beat out Jason Day. Mm-hmm. It's probably more disappointing yeah, for us down yeah. here, seeing Jason... He just didn't fire, even though he came second during the week. I mean, that's the mm. that's the mark of a, of a champion. Even though he didn't fire in that tournament, it, it felt like anyway he just couldn't get anything going. He came second. Now, Jimmy Walker, you know, he's another guy who's I think he's had a four win season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's always going to be a Ryder Cup player. We saw him come down and play in the World Cup at Kingston Heath, hit the ball all over the joint. Uh, but he, you know, he was rock solid in that tournament um, at at the PGA, and I thought he was go- he had this. He had a putt that he hit the hole, I think, on the 17th. Par 5, par 5 finish at Bolter's Roll. And he had that putt that he had the hole. Otherwise, Jason was going to get too close. And Jason had hit a good drive down the last. And he didn't hit a good putt. It, it somehow, I mean, it was like one of those putts where it, it seems like it had a big right lip. Mm. You know, it looks like mm-hmm. it's going to miss. And somehow the, the hole dragged it in. Um, he did that. And he didn't lay up on the last or something. He went with a wood. Something I can remember it being, you know, it didn't seem right. Mm. He was in the long rough, and he ended up chomping it on the green and two putting to beat to keep Jason out. Um, and remember, I think Jace, Jason Day hit that magnificent yeah. second shot to the seventy-second hole. It looked like he had a chance at eagle. He didn't eagle. He ended up birding it, but. Uh, that was a brilliant tournament. Hey, don't forget about Jason Day either. Sometimes we leave out the mm. PGA, but the PGA yeah. is a huge. Event. Mm-hmm. I mean, it hasn't got the major status. I, I give it major status. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's it's just a fantastic golf tournament now. And Jason Day led from wire to wire. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'd seen him win a PGA. Uh, might have been 2015. Yeah. Might have been 2014. I was one of them. I think it was 15. Yeah. yeah. And for him to win, you know, he, Denny Willett wins the Masters. April is Players' Championship time. Uh, and for him to win that one yeah. gave him a lot of... I don't know, a lot of belief, I think, going into the season. To win that tournament wire to wire, you know, to get to that 17th hole and drive down the 18th and do everything that you need to do. Um, you know, the mental toughness is there for Jason. It's it's actually his ability to mm. want to play golf. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure he wants to play. And maybe his physical durability, he gets injured yeah. a lot, he gets sick a lot. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, look, I, I really think mm. he'll he'll tell you, yeah, he tells everybody who'll listen. He reckons that he drives the ball better when he's hitting it flat out. Well, that mm. might be the case. But like a fast bowler, if you're bowling flat out all the time, mm. you're going to break down. Yeah. And I think that is a you know one of the reasons why Jason has back injuries, has wrist injuries. I really do. I mean, not, none of the greats. You know, you look at Jack and you look at Greg Norman, even look at Arnold Palmer. I mean, these guys drove the ball pretty much better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. They they'll all tell you that rarely. Did they hit it at one hundred percent when they needed to? You know, par five, or you know, it might have been something. It might have been the hole where they needed to carry something, um, and they'll step on the gas mm-hmm. maybe three or four times around. 
not fourteen times around. Yeah, that's 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 not on. That's that it doesn't work. It would be like a fast bowler trying to bowl at one hundred and fifty-five clicks every time he bowled. Mm-hmm. That guy's going to break down. He is. And that's why I feel, I think Jason needs to pull it back. And, mm-hmm. you know, when, when when you hit a drive at 85%, a pro, he's still going to carry the ball 290 yards, the best mm-hmm. ones, Jason. Mm-hmm. Jason needs to drive it at, at, at 85%. It's going to carry 285, 290 yards. If he really steps on the gas, it's going to carry over 300. Mm-hmm. It's really not that big a deal. No. No. It's not worth breaking down, Jase. No, it's not. It's not worth breaking down. Just just t- tone it down for mine. Uh, try and stay balanced. Just just accelerate through and away you go. Before we take a break the to a championship, uh, Rory McIlroy had an interesting year. He obviously publicly potted the place of golf at the Olympics yeah. and stood by it saying, I don't really owe the game anything. I'm here to win these sorts of tournaments. Yep. And he's $10 million richer or $9 million richer after palming off 10% of that to his caddy. Yeah, that's right. He ends up winning the FedEx Cup. He, he won the Tour Championship and the FedEx, and, Cup. And the FedEx yeah. Cup. So I think he won about, uh, let's say, $2 million for winning mm-hmm. the Tour Championship. Plus he gets a $10 million bonus. So that is a $12 million, mm-hmm. probably $12, million, $2 million, $14 million bucks. Yeah. He actually gave his caddy. Caddy didn't even know it was coming. <clears throat> 10%. 10%. Yeah. 10% of that big week. How about that? Yeah. So a decent early Christmas present. Yeah. And the, uh, the the quote from the caddy was, a tsunami hit my bank account. <laughs> you can imagine. I mean, if you're not used to seeing you're $1 million. You're going to pay a few bills and you're like, jeez. If you're not used to yeah. seeing the $1 million thing in your account, <laughs> and, you know, you might – like a caddy, I imagine I imagine <laughs> Rory McIlroy's caddy's going pretty well. He might I'd have, say so. He might, he might have a couple hundred thousand just sitting yeah. around and puts the rest into his house or mm. you know, whatever his investments are. But he might have a couple hundred thousand sitting in there. If you had 200 and all of a sudden the next day you go check it, it's 1.200 thousand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be ringing your bank thinking, oh, you've, you've made a bit of a blue here. Well, you can win the Australian Open. You only win 180,000. Mm. Mm. Here's a caddy getting yeah. 1 million, 1.1 million US <laughs> straight in there. So. I reckon Rory must be going right as well. I'd say so. Well, that sort of yeah. stuff to be happening. I'd say he must be. Fantastic year of golf. We'll uh, get to a break. We'll see if 2017 will be the same after this for Club Mandalay. Head to clubmandalay.com.au. Use the code word CMGOLF and score 10% off your next round. In your life have you seen anything like that? You're listening to The Clubhouse. Welcome back to the Clubhouse. Darren Parkin here with Mark Allen. We've taken a look back at 2016. We'll take a look forward now at 2017. We'll start off with the Australians. We spoke a bit about Jason Day and you've alluded to what he perhaps needs to do, but I guess he's capable of anything if he does that. Well, look, I reckon he's always pretty good after a break. And I don't think he's... He's not a lazy person in his break. He'll... He'll be working out. He's fit. I think he likes being fit. I think he likes being strong. Um, I think he understands his golf muscles and what to mm. work on. I think they all do these days. And I know he's, you know, he's, he's caddy, he's coach. Um, he, he, he's not going to be slack. I mean, he's going to be checking up on him and, 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 and that's going to work well. Um, that's going to work well, I think, is for his body, not only, uh, physically, but also for his body mentally also. I, I think he's just the sort of cat who needs to have three months off. I think there's there, there's a lot of golfers in the past who have been like that. I don't think, you know, he's not going to just put the clubs away and not touch them for three months either. Mm. But I expect, I, I'm really expecting some pretty big things from Jace. I, I reckon if you if you take this time off, if you're so, um, if you're so forward mm-hmm. telling people, I need the rest, I'm hurt, 
Yeah, a lot of people, you know, rolling their eyes down here in Australia. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. That's for the people who run the tournaments. There was a lot of eye rolling when he didn't turn up uh, at the Australian Open. When he didn't turn up uh, to, to defend his World Cup title with with Adam Scott, you know, ticket sales were pretty much halved. Um, I'm not saying that he owes us. That's mm. that's that's wrong. But I I want him to play well. I I really truly do. And I hopefully, if he gets off to a quick start, if he can do that. If he can start well in January, February, um, then let's hope. You know, he's he he's the sort of player who needs a two major season, and in a two major season will do the world for him. He's one of those confidence players, and if he can, if he can have the big rest and then have a two major season, that'll be three majors at the end of 2017, and I reckon he'd be pretty much a certainty to to win eight. And hopefully win all four. Because mm-hmm. there's only been five blokes who've been able to win all, yeah. five, all four. And he's capable. He, it'd be awesome for him to be number six. Adam Scott, Mark Leishman, a couple of the other Aussies, uh, what you're anticipating? Yeah, Scotty, uh, look, famously now, this time last year, Dustin Johnson uh, knew his game from tee mm-hmm. to green was, was supreme um, and worked on his 100-yard game. He mm-hmm. became the number one player from 100 yards to 125 yards on the US tour. That, that That's a mighty mm-hmm. effort. Mm-hmm. If Adam Scott can do that and take advantage of the drives, if he can become a top 10 player from 100 to 125 yards and you know probably under 125 yards, mm-hmm. then he's going to win majors. If he doesn't, if he just he did what he did this year and his wedges were just hopeless, mm-hmm. absolutely hopeless for a top-line player, yeah. then you know he... he he just—he's not going to hold the putts. Mm. He just doesn't hold enough fifteen-footers. But Dustin Johnson—he kept on hitting at the six feet. I mean, good players—he—he he, can hold six-footers. It's when you keep on hitting at the ten, twelve. You know, it's that awkward distance where you want to make it to go further and further on the par, but it's still—it's a ten-footer. I mean, yeah. they just don't go in. You got break, you got speed, you got wind, you got everything. Spike marks, six-footers—you can kind of bulldoze them in if you're any good. And I think he's still good enough to hold the six-footers. I, I really do. But he doesn't hit at the six-foot and under enough with the wedge in hand. Of the overseas talents, you look at Spieth, Dustin Johnson, Matsuyami, Phil Mickelson. We'll touch on Tiger soon, but Ricky mm. Fowler, Henrik Stenson, who we yep. spoke about in the previous segment. Who do you think are going to be the big fish? Uh, well, Matsuyama just recently, whether he can continue is another story. I'd love to see him continue. I love watching him play. Henrik Stenson should have a mighty year. Mm. I mean, he's won one major now, first week to win a major. He should have a mighty year in 2017 and 2018. He's he's big and strong. Mm. He's a th- really thick bodied player uh, he's supple no one hits it better than him and when he's up and going he, he's a bit of an ice man as well so I'm expecting big things from him he's he's my tip to, to re- he's my no brainer for 2017 he mm-hmm. should actually perform very well Tiger Woods um, obviously he's come back late in the year a bit of a mixed bag I know in terms yeah. of where he finished overall it was pretty low but he showed a couple of signs of what we know he can do what might 2017 look for him? It's a question that gets asked every year. Yeah. I mean, people always ask in tennis whether Roger Federer wins another major. That seems more likely, given where he's at, yeah. despite his age. Uh, but Tiger undoubtedly, obviously, has loads of ability. It's just whether it's found again. Yeah. Well, look, when he was hitting uncontrollable bad shots mm. and was chipping poorly, he's gone. I mean, he's a C-grade pro. Mm-hmm. If, he, if he can't control yeah. the ball and you cannot chip, you're a C-grade player, no mm-hmm. matter what your background is. Um, the chipping looked a hell of a lot better. And that golf course where they played it at down at um, in the Bahamas, uh, 
that that's got the type of grass that can really make anybody look a fool if they're mm. not on. It didn't make Tiger look a fool. He he looked like he knew what he was doing with the lob wedge and the chipper in hand. So that's that's a big plus. Um, his good shots are f- superb. His putting was brilliant, and I think he still has the belief down deep inside. Mm-hmm. But it's still just a little bit. I don't know. It doesn't look like everything comes down together to this state yeah. to me. It looks like his hips are firing quick, and that's a kind of a jerky motion. So look, he's got to he's got to settle down, and the only way you're going to settle down is to play lots of tournament golf, um, and that's the big question: Can his body handle a twenty tournament season? Can he play five tournaments in a row yeah. without getting hurt? Yeah, you know, when I say five tournaments in a row, it'd be two on, two off, two mm-hmm. on, two off, one on. Yeah, that that would be his goal. So if he can do that then he should start feeling more comfortable in his own skin and hopefully you're going to see more golf the way that he plays when he's at home and there's no pressure. Just relaxed, strong golf. Just finally, I mean, to put you on the spot, anything out of left field, like any young Australians that you could see potentially emerging? I know we've often spoken about our our amateurs coming through that have been very, very good. Um, look, there's Ryan Ruffles, mm-hmm. who's got lost a little bit. He had his seven starts this year mm-hmm. and failed to get his tour card and went down to South America to try and Get onto the the PGA Tour that way. I think uh, I think he's got a long way to go. He's going to try and go through the Web dot com tour and get starts there and and come through and get in that top twenty five and away you go. So he's kind of out of the picture uh, at the moment. Um, the other one, Curtis Luck. Now Curtis Luck, we're going to see him play at Augusta as an amateur, and he should probably play at the Open Championship as well as an amateur. Keep your eye on this kid. I, I like him. He's been posting a little bit of what his swing's been doing mm-hmm. on Twitter, uh, and what it was doing at the end there at the Australian Open, um, it was looking a little bit loose, and I could see in the swings that he's been posting on Twitter that there, there are some significant changes where his his body stops, mm-hmm. or what was happening, his body was stopping and his arm kept going, mm-hmm. arms kept going at the Australian Open in his backswing. So when his shoulders stop, you want your arm, you want everything to stop. Mm-hmm. Once your shoulders stop, because then it becomes a one Unit motion. Mm-hmm. If you if you turn back and your shoulders stop and your arms keep going, you're all like, you're gone. You, know, you end up with your arms way behind your body and that you get stuck and all the rest of it. That's what he was doing at the Australian Open. I think his coach understands that. He's got a very good coach. Um, and I think he might see a different kid. He looks good. He hits it long. He's a great putter. A lot of belief. He's got something special about him too. A lot of presence. So keep your eye on Curtis Luck. I think he's going to be a gun. He is indeed. We'll get to a break. Uh, we'll hear uh, Jack Nicholas's touching uh, tribute to uh, the uh, mighty Arnold Palmer that we uh, brought you from a few weeks ago. That's coming up next in Marco's Masterclass as well. In your life, have you seen anything like that? You're listening to The Clubhouse. Welcome back to The Clubhouse. Darren Parkin here with Mark Allen. Of course, the golf world was saddened by the passing of Arnold Palmer during 2016, one of the... I guess, most memorable and sad moments of the year. But Jack Nicholas, uh, one of the other, I guess, immortals of the sport, uh, had a bit of a chat about Arnold Palmer at a tribute to him during the year, and we'll bring you that now. It is a uh, magnificent uh, recollection of the life of Arnold Palmer. There have been a few times in my life where standing behind a podium just felt a little different, a bit more meaningful, more memorable, and because of that, perhaps more difficult in both my head and my heart. One of those moments came four years ago last month when I was honored and humbled to be asked to speak on behalf of Arnold Palmer as he received the Congressional Gold Medal. It was a day to celebrate 
Everything has, everything Arnold has meant to golf and our country. The other opportunity is today. An occasion when I'm again honored and humbled to help you celebrate everything Arnold has meant to golf and our country, but also to our hearts and most difficult for me to celebrate what he has meant to my life. In many ways, the easiest and most difficult speeches are when you're talking about something that means so much to you. Arnold Palmer meant the world to you, the game of golf, his countless fans, and my wife Barbara and me. Because of this, this is not one of the easiest speeches, so you don't mind if I read a little bit here. And if you forgive me, I would like to borrow a little from September 2012 when I stood before Congress to thank him for honoring my rival and my friend, Arnold Palmer. Before I do, I must mention one thing about that day. As you might expect, there was a parade of politicians who spoke with whereas this and whereas that. Some beautiful, wonderful things were said about Arnold. But I noticed the entire time that Arnold was rather stoic and showed little emotion. So I started to wonder about something. Most of you all know that Arnold is a bit of hard, hard of hearing. So after the ceremony, I got to the elevator with Arnold and I said, tell me something, AP. How much of that ceremony did you hear? Zero. So I started laughing and said, well, you might want to get a video because some really nice things were said about you. <laughs> when, I, when I spoke that day, I kidded that when you get to be our age, you meet a lot of people who begin conversations with, I remember when. It's not uncommon for a new friend to walk up and say, I remember when I saw you the 1962 U.S. Open at Oakmont, I was standing behind the 17th green and was wearing a yellow shirt. You waved and winked at me, remember? <laughs> of course, there's only one response to that. How could I ever forget? <laughs> As I said then, and I repeat with a heavy heart today, in parts of seven decades I knew Arnold Palmer, there were countless and sometimes comical I remember wins. And most important, even more, cher more cherished members, cherished moments I will never forget. There will and remain the moments that provide us a glimpse into the golfer who epitomized charisma, the man whose character, loyalties, and loves were unshakable, the caring, giving gentleman we celebrate today. He was an everyday man, everybody, everyone's hero. Aunt Arnold managed to remove the eye from Icon and instead let, instead let the world share in his greatness. Over the last week or so, I have shared so many stories with people about my dear friend Arnold Palmer. At least to me, these stories that illustrate that Arnold Palmer is the Arnold Palmer I will never forget and I hope never forget. Hope you never forget. I remember when I first saw Arnold hit a golf ball. I was 14 years old playing in the highest state amateur at Sylvania Country Club in Toledo. I was on the golf course. It had been pouring down rain all day. And I came in off the golf course. I was the only one on the golf course. I walked by the practice range, 
there was only one person on the practice range. And I stopped and I looked at him. He looked like Popeye. He was hitting these short irons, but he was drilling them about eight feet high. And they looked like they just just running right through the, through, through the rain. Uh, and I sat there and looked at it, and I watched him for about 30 minutes. And I never, I didn't know him, he didn't know me. I walked into the clubhouse, and I said, who in the world is that guy on the practice tee out there hitting balls like Popeye? He said, oh, that's our defending champion, Arnold Palmer. Well, that's an Arnold Palmer I will never forget. I remember when four years later, at the age of 18, I played up for Arnold for the first time. It was Dal Finsterwald Day. Dal had won the PGA Championship to celebrate his victory. They held a four-man exhibition in Athens Country Club in southeastern Ohio. And we had a driving contest on the first tee. First hole was four, 330 yards long, obviously a par four. Arnold drove the ball on the green. I drove the ball over the green and won the driving contest. I shot 68 that day. But of course, Arnold went out and made eight birdies and an eagle and shot a course record 62. For years, I pointed out to Arnold that I had outdrove him. And he quickly reminded me, he shot the lowest score. <laughs> so if you ever want, wanted to know the genesis of our friendly rivalry, it was when I was 18 years old. The date? September 25th, 1958. <laughs> and the... And the competitiveness between us never ended, be it ironic, fitting, or something spiritual to me, that very day, exactly 58 years ago. But with passion that came with Arnold's game and our competition, I quickly saw the compassion that would always underlie it. When I'm, I remember when we played our first PGA Tour event together. It was early 1962. I was a 22-year-old rookie. And we were playing the final round of the Phoenix Open. Arnold and I obviously were paired together. We got around to the 17th green, and Arnold came over and put his, I walked as we walked off the 17th, he put his arm on my shoulder. He, I knew, and he knew that I needed a birdie to finish second. By the way, Arnold only nipped me there by 12 shots that week. Arnold said, just relax. It's not a hard par five. You're in good shape. Just play smart, and you'll finish second. He didn't have to do that. It was Arnold Palmer. Yet here was Arnold trying to help a young guy while winning the tournament. That's an Arnold Palmer I'll never forget. Uh, I remember when I won my first professional tournament and my first major 54 years ago this summer, 1962 at Oakmont. I was a 22-year-old with blinders on having no clue that I was not only battling the great Arnold Palmer, but doing so in his Pennsylvania backyard at Oakmont. Yet I remember we were about to tee off in an 18-0 playoff. Arnold walked over to me, and uh, in those days, it was customary for uh, when we played a playoff on the extra day that you split the, uh, or, or, you, or the winner won the, uh, uh, the, the gate for the last day on the, on the playoff. And Arnold walked over to me and he said, you know, would you like to split the gate today? And I said, well, you know, I said, I, I sort of felt like, well, 
you know, why would he want to do that? I mean, he's going to win it anyway. And it, was, it turned out it was $1,400. That was the gate. But uh, I said to him, I said, now, let's just play for it. I guess I, I want it. It seemed to me like a king's ransom then. Anyway, here I was, a winless rookie with a nine-month-old baby about to play the most important playoff of my life. And Arnold Palmer was thinking to me, by the way, it turned out to be a kind offer. And eventually, because I said I eventually pocketed the whole gate. But still, that's an Arnold Palmer I'll never forget. Mark McCormick managed Arnold and me, as well as our dear friend Gary Player. And because of that, we were put together in matches and big three exhibitions all over the world. We played together, we traveled together, we laughed a lot. Our wives became the absolute closest of friends, as did we. I've said a lot this week about Arnold's had two loves, golf and flying. And, of course, Russ did a beautiful job cap capturing Arnold's passion for, for planes and flying. In some ways, Arnold approached his golf much like flying. He was passionate, loved to go fast, and he had a fearlessness about him. I remember a day in, in, in the 1960s, Arnold and I went out to Seagraves, Texas, a little town in West Texas, to play an exhibition. He had picked me up in his Aero Commander, and it was one of those windswept days in West Texas. And the Aero Commander were just bouncing all over the, all over the sky. To me, I felt like a, you know, a piece of paper in a tornado, and I'm holding on for dear life, scared to death, it's like a roller coaster coming off the tracks. I looked over at Arnold, and he was laughing. And it was like he was sitting in the front seat of a roller coaster, enjoying every moment. I did not enjoy that flight. <laughs> and with his other love, golf, I'm still not sure who needed, needed the other the most. So let's just call it a love affair to last a lifetime. The game gave so much to Arnold, but he gave back so much more. Arnold came along when golf needed him most. When TV first embraced the sport of golf, they had a swashbuckling, swashbuckling hero in Arnold as the game's face. Just like the young man I watched that day in 1954, muscles taut, piercing rain drops with every shot, Arnold Palmer was the everyday man's hero. He embodied the hardworking strength of America with his shirt often hanging out, a hitch in his pants, and Arnold played a game we could all appreciate. He made the recovery shot a form of art, and people adored it. At times, he played like no one else before or after him, and at times, he played like everyone else who had ever gripped a club, and that endeared him to all, watching outside the ropes or from their living room. He appealed to everyone. When he slipped on a green jacket, you might say he was comfortable wearing a blue collar or white collar beneath it. He had a swagger long before it was cool, but his charisma came with a softness, a smile, and a wink, and as everybody has said today, a trademark thumbs up. We competed in everything from majors to endorsements to golf course design to a game of bridge at 40,000 feet. You name it. We likely competed for it, and I promise you, if there was ever a problem, I knew Arnold had my back, and he knew I had his. I've said before, and I can't emphasize it enough today, I may have had to battle Arnold's army early on, but I never had to battle Arnold Palmer. Today, I'm a proud soldier in Ari's army. You see, I've even got an umbrella on my lapel. He was the king of our sport, and he always will be.
Like the great Vin Scully, when he called his last game Sunday night for the Dodgers, he says, don't be sad that it's over. Smile because it happened. Today I hurt just like you hurt. You don't lose a friend of almost 60 years and not feel an enormous loss. But my wife often says the memories are the cushions of life. Each of you sitting here today, or perhaps sitting at home, has at least one wonderful memory of Arnold Palmer to balance out your hurting heart. So for today, so today and many years from now, I simply ask, I simply ask you to just remember when. To his dear wife, Kit, his adored daughters, Peg and Amy, their families, Kit's, Kit, Kit's children's, his friends, and his millions of fans. Remember when Arnold Palmer touched your life, touched your heart. And please, don't forget why. Thank you. We'll get to a break. We'll finish with Marco's Masterclass after this. In your life have you seen anything like that? You're listening to The Clubhouse. Welcome back to The Clubhouse. Visit clubmandalay.com.au. Use the code word CMGOLF and you can get 10% off your next round. Time for... Marco's Masterclass. For those heading into uh, Christmas tomorrow and beyond, what advice can we offer them? Righto, Dash. I've saved the best All right. for last. That's what we want. All righty. Now... A lot of people, when they start playing the game and learn the game as kids, they're taught to keep their spine in the one place. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you're a kid, your body's actually strong enough for this to happen. Mm -hmm. But as you get older, as you sit in a chair for most of the day, as as you're not playing as much golf as you used to, those back muscles, they're not as strong. Mm -hmm. And what happens is when you are – you've got to picture someone's set up from – Behind, so you can see where the ball's going to go, not in front of them, mm-hmm. from, from behind. The back comes down, then it's almost a zigzag with their legs, with their thighs, and then it zigzags back again with their calves. So what people do when their back isn't strong enough to play this game is that their belt buckle gets closer to the ball on the way down. At the top of the, at the, top of the swing... Mm-hmm. The belt buckle start because that's your back. That's mm-hmm. your body saying, "I'm not strong enough to hang on to this mm-hmm. this spine angle position you've got me into." Now, with practice, even if you play just once a week or once a fortnight, you can do it. Mm-hmm. But one of the great things that the best players do is that they keep their body out of the way so that their arms can swing through mm-hmm. unencumbered by body position. But if you're straightening up, unfortunately, your belt buckle and mm-hmm. your hip gets right in the way. So my tip for Christmas, right? so you can swing through the ball and get your body out of the way, it's really simple. Keep your belt buckle far away. So mm-hmm. just don't change, but keep your belt buckle out of the way of your arms on the way down. Most people, like, and I want to say most, when I was coaching, 85% of people, their body used to completely straighten as they were changing direction and coming through the ball. But if you keep your belt buckle out of the way of the ball, then it's a different ball game and you'll find that you won't get the left and the rights, the bad ones. You'll find that your arms can swing through unencumbered by body positions and away you go. If you're hitting them cleanly post-Christmas, you can thank Mark Allen. Marco, well, thank you. We'll uh, catch you, good on you Dash. in the new year. Been a, uh, a massive year of golf, as we said, and we look forward to 2017. See you in 2017. This has been the Clubhouse for Club Mandalay and we'll catch you in 2017.